You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, good evening. It's a joy to be here at Eastside. Members and guests alike, grateful for you for being here. Um, I am certainly not Pastor Jed. I'm grateful that he's given me the opportunity to preach, although I think I speak on behalf of both myself and you all that I'm certainly looking forward to having our pastor back with us. And for those of us who are our guests, I would encourage you to come back while our pastor is here. Um, They've already kind of gone through the run of guys, Brother Samuel, Brother Josh, and Brother Bishu have already preached, so I am basically what you get when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. So I really do encourage you to be back Sunday uh, when he's back, so... Um, Anyways, uh, if you would turn in your Bible to John chapter 3, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 3, and go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 3, and, and while you're turning, uh, for those of you that may have found it, have, who all has seen our, our cool little tracks? These are, these are new, we didn't have these last summer. They have John 316 printed on them, has everyone seen them? I, th- I thought those were pretty neat, and, and this, this message kind of was... Came to came to my mind as as I as I kind of read it and and you know it it has the beginning of John three sixteen on the front of it for God so loved the world and and how many how many in here could probably say that by memory just just about all of us and and I you know you think about it it's so commonplace you see that in people's households they'll have it decorated in their home they'll post it on Facebook they'll have it on their phone they'll they'll they they do all, we do all sorts of things with it because it kind of represents the focal point of the gospel but it. My thought was, you know, sometimes a passage like that, that can have such a heavy meaning, can also become casual with us sometimes because it's so overused, it's so well known. And, I, you know, I think tonight um, it certainly helped me to, to look at this passage again with a fresh set of eyes to kind of reinforce what it should mean to us. And I, I hope to take you on that journey as well with me, so... We'll be in John chapter 3, it seems most of you have found it. I'm actually going to start in John chapter 2, verse number 23, I think for the most part, that'll be just above it. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now when he, being Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. 
Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Go ahead and read verse 16 with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Thank you. You may be seated. So I have a story for you. The truth of this story I will leave up to your imaginations, but, but I have a story for you. At Heartland, where Brother Samuel and I have both graduated from, and where Brother Abishu and Brother Josh are currently attending, uh, the college tries its best to engage uh, students with different pastors from, from across the country that have experience, that, that just have knowledge of ministry, and, and, and just bring them to the school to help them try to catch a vision for what God would have the students do to serve him for the rest of their lives. And, and the typical way by which they do this is through what's called an up-close week. Uh, where a group of pastors comes from a certain region of the country and, and they, they invest in students. And, and as many of you would know by now, he's done it several times, pastor takes part in one of these up-close weeks. We have what's called the North Central up-close week, the region where we're at. He and, he and Brother Ben Moore and Brother Jeremy Reagan usually go down along with some others. Um, and, and students love to have him there. They really do. He, he used to teach there and they're familiar with them from, from him being around there, and, and you know, Brother Jamie Jett and Miss Vicky also teaching at the school as well, with whom you're familiar. Um, we love to have him; we really do, and that, that's his goal. So, in our minds, let, let's go back a year or two. I'm, I'm still a student; I'm still in school. Let's pretend I've just finished up another summer internship here at Eastside, and, and have returned to Heartland to resume my education. Brother Copes one week announces in chapel, both on Tuesday and on Thursday, two times that the next week is the North Central Close-Up Week, and sure enough, Pastor Jet is going to be there. And that, that excites me. It certainly does. I, I love it whenever he comes down, and I would always make it a point to say hello. So the very next Monday, a white suburban pulls onto the Heartland campus and outsteps our pastor and his wife. And being a good former intern, I eagerly await to greet him. I say, Pastor! I exclaim, I am so glad that you're here. And it, man, it must have been such a long trip for you and Miss Aaron to come all the way out here just to see me. And he smiles, but is confused. And he said, yeah, that, that's great, Jacob, but that's not really why I'm here. And he smiles, albeit very off-put by my creepy enthusiasm to see him. <laughs> On Tuesday, we pass in the hallway. Pastor, I exclaim, I'm so glad you're here. I figured you've probably been looking for me, so I came to find you. You're, you're here to hire me to be on full-time staff, right? You know, because I was such a good intern over the summer. <laughs> he looks at me a little puzzled, and he says, No, actually, no, that's not why I'm here at all. <laughs> and continues to go on his way. On Wednesday, he comes into one of my classes to present. And as he's about to tell all of the other students, they say, Pastor! <laughs> I am so excited that you're here. This teacher of this class is so unfair, and he grades me so terribly. 
And since you're on the board of directors, would you please, on my behalf, go and talk to the administration about this teacher? He says, Jacob, sit down. <laughs> that is likely one of the farthest possible things for, as far as a reason for why I would be here. On Thursday, pastor is sitting in the perk eating lunch with Olivia, who is also a student. The moment I see him, I push her out of the way, and I say, Pastor, I am so glad that you're here. He slams his hands on the table and says, Jacob, I am not here for you. They have announced it in chapel all of last week. I am going from class to class for up-close presentations. I am trying to invest in students as the future of ministry. Currently, I am trying to enjoy lunch with my daughter. <laughs> Let me say this to you again. For whatever reason you have in your mind that I am here is not the reason why I am here. Story's over. And there you have it. Whether or not that story is true, I'll leave that to your interpretation. But that's Jesus and the Jews at this particular moment in time. You know, just like the announcements in chapel the previous week were perfectly clear. Whatever it was that I had in my mind was completely way off. And just like the things that pastor would be doing on, camp, on campus, investing in students and making those presentations, it should make it perfectly clear to me that his purpose for being there was specific and not what I thought it was. Yet I missed it. And the Jews did the exact same thing. They, they, they weren't missing any information regarding who Jesus was and what he was supposed to be doing. Yet somehow they missed it the whole time. See, the reason why I read verse number 23 of chapter number 2 uh, is because the Jews, the Jews had their own impression of Jesus' purpose and the kingdom of God. See, the Jews, the Jews believed the Messiah would, was going to come. They were going to, this was after a period of, of captivity. You have the, the days of, of the kingdom where you had King David, King Solomon, and then the kingdom splits, and then the people disobey, and they get carried away into captivity, and then they come back, and, and then they're now being occupied by Rome. There's a series of things that happened. If you're interested in the history about it, I encourage you to read a book because I do not have time to do that in the sermon. But they've emerged from this period. They've been, they've been held captive over and over and over again, and God's freed them. And now they're currently finding, finding themselves under Roman occupation. And so as, as, as the Jewish religion, so to speak, has built up to this point, and they, they, they understand the idea, wow, if we forsake God, people are going to take us over. So they tried to be very dedicated to God, and that produced the, the sect of the Pharisees that we, that we read about, of whom Nicodemus is a part. Um, and they, they have this idea that God, that, that God has promised a Messiah that was very much in the Scriptures. But due to the, over the process of time, their idea of what this Messiah was supposed to do, at least in this moment, was to free them from Rome and to set up God's earthly king, kingdom on earth physically. And people believe that Jesus, that Jesus would be this Messiah, as evident in verse number 23, when, when they saw the miracles that he did. I mean, Jesus did things that no other man had ever done at that point, and they thought, this, this has to be the one. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Do you think that would be a clue? But they were, they were still interested primarily in Jesus' works, so they could validate in their own minds, this is the guy that we want. This is the Messiah that's going to meet our expectations and it says even in verse number 24 that because of this type of belief that people came to have in him, that Jesus did not commit himself 
unto them. And that word commit actually is the exact same word used to describe their belief. They, they, just because they believed in him, they believed in him because they wanted to make him the Messiah of their expectations. But he did not have any belief in them because they did not believe in him as the Messiah of God's design. So Nicodemus, we find we're in chapter number three with Nicodemus. He's more sincere than these other multitudes previously, their, their surface-level faith in the works of Jesus. And he's, he's sincere in his, in his questions to Jesus, but he's still inclined to the same line of thinking because of, because of his, his position as a Pharisee and just because of the culture and the time. He acknowledged that even among the religious elite, since he's, he's a Pharisee, he's a ruler of the Jews, he said, we know he said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. He, he acknowledges that, that they're inclined to, at the very least, admit that, that Christ had been sent by God. And his focus, however, much like the people, seemed fixated on the miracles more than the man. Verse, verse number two again, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So, so as Nicodemus is questioning Jesus, he's ultimately trying to uncover whether or not Jesus is the Messiah... But this is to the end that he's the Messiah of their expectations. So Jesus' Jesus's response in verse number 3 is, is to help Nicodemus break away from this idea. To help him understand what his true purpose for being there is. So he says in verse number 3, verily, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus actually here is, is going to challenge Nicodemus' understanding of the scriptures, which he would know, because, because they anticipated that physical kingdom to be ushered in. And, and in this moment, if Jesus was who Nicodemus was beginning to believe he was, then that would mean that Jesus would be moving to establish a physical kingdom in the name of God. But Jesus, as a response, tells Nicodemus he needs to be born again, or else it was impossible to see and therefore understand the, the purpose of the kingdom of God. And and it would be easy for us as we read through to think that Jesus says you need to be born again and, and Nicodemus by chance seems to take that literally. There's actually some things upon further study that, that Jesus is getting across. So, so born again used in, in verse number three, the word for again is anothen, which actually means from the beginning or from above is, is another way that it could be, it could be taken. And and what's interesting about this phrase is that the phrase born again was not invented by Jesus at this particular moment. Um, some commentaries say that, um, that, that Jesus, Nicodemus was actually, would actually be familiar with this phrase born again as Jesus used it. And Jesus is telling him, you, Nicodemus, need to be born again. So the, pro the, promises and, the reason for this is the promises and covenants of God were promised to the, the Jewish people. If one was of Isra uh, an Israelite descent, they were therefore a Jew. If you were not of Israelite descent, you were therefore not a Jew. And the promises of God found in the law did, did not apply to you. However, there are, there are certain parts in the law that, that make mention that Gentiles can convert and, and become a Jew. Although they had to follow a process. And, and if you're familiar with Jewish culture, they're, they're, they're an ethno-religious culture. They're, they're both a people and a religion. And so from a very young age, what children would do when they're born, they're, they're, taught, they're taught the scriptures, they're taught the law, they're made to memorize things, and they do this all from the age of a child. Well, if you're an adult and, and you convert to Judaism, well, now you have to start way down here where other children are. You have to put everything to the side 
and essentially become as a child, as though you're being born again as a Jew and completely starting over. So this is, this is, kind of, this is what registers in Nicodemus' mind. And so we see Nicodemus' response. He saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And because of the meaning of born again, it's, it's actually interesting because we can kind of guess as to, as to Nicodemus' line of thinking as he, as he comes up with this response. His confusion at being told he needs to be born again goes much deeper than simply a face value interpretation. Um, Nicodemus was farther along in his understanding of the scriptures that, than pretty much any of the multitudes from before. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler. He was of the elite. So he genuinely wanted to experience Jesus as the Messiah, but he drew his understandings of Jesus from, from the works more than his purpose. And he was still stuck in that standard frame, Jewish frame of mind that we talked about, that Jesus' purpose, the Messiah's purpose, was to establish this kingdom. So he's a Pharisee. He's a master of the law, and not only so, but a ruler of the Jews. And if anyone were a Jew, it would be Nicodemus. Nicodemus possessed all of the qualifications that anyone would have thought would be required to be an inheritor of the promises of God found in the law. In other words, if anyone was, was, was entitled to having a part in the kingdom of God, it was Nicodemus. So Jesus explains that, that born again here, it means to be born of the Spirit. Jesus contrasts being born of water in, in verse number 5 with being born of the Spirit. See, born, born of water also has, has a, another meaning to it, as he tells him. Um, and, and I want to clarify a potential doctrinal error here that some people will, will try to say. Um, Jesus here, by, with, the, with the, the conjunction, and he's not saying being born of water and of the Spirit, you need to be baptized and be saved. That's not being said here at all. I, I want to clarify that, and we can explain that. Born of water does have a double meaning. However, broadly, it just means you need to be born physically. So, so bear in mind, he's talking to Nicodemus here, who is a Jew, and, and, and is, is addressing him from his Jewish point of understanding. Nicodemus responded with confusion that Jesus would tell him, a Jew and a Pharisee, to be born again as though he was a Gentile. To Nicodemus, I don't need that. Why, why would I need that? I'm already a Jew. What need have I to be born again unless you mean literally? That, that's why his response is the way that it is. And, and he, he therefore thinks that Jesus thinks, you literally want me to be born a second time because I have no need to convert like a Gentile does. Jesus responds that unless he's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot have a part in the kingdom of God of which Nicodemus, Nicodemus believed he would be part of by birthright. And, and again, the reason we know that Jesus isn't just making some arbitrary requirement for baptism, but is rather illustrating a point, actually comes from his following statement in verse number 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he's actually contrasting them. So the flesh part comes first, and the spirit part comes second. So logically speaking, one needs to be alive physically if they have a need to be born spiritually. But there's more going on here. So again, like I said, born of water is, is actually another reference referring to an expression used by the Jews at that day. Um, uh, an expression to, used for a ritual uh, concerning the washing of, of a Jewish convert. Uh, to complete the process of conversion, a Jewish convert usually had to follow a ritual washing, of which there were many types. There, there were many types. This was one of many. They'd wash their hands every time they would, they would write something or before they ate on certain days or after certain periods of life, they would, have, they would wash themselves. There were a lot of ritual washings. So this would actually just be one of those. If you converted to Judaism and you were born again, as they put it, then at some point during this process, you were you were immersed in, in water, much like we would 
baptize. And, and this practice actually isn't mentioned with the term baptism. The, the Hebrew word for it is, is tefillah, is tefillah. I could spell it for you, and, and hopefully you can pronounce it better, but it's T-V-I-L-A-H, tevila. Um But in, re- in reality, what Jesus is doing here is he's making a follow-up statement, uh, correcting Nicodemus's misplaced confidence in, in his pedigree, in his Jewishness. Uh, he's, he's addressing both in, in relationship to, to spiritual rebirth. Being born of water here, what Jesus is saying, he's like, okay, Nicodemus, you can be born a Jew, or you can be converted into one. You can be born of water. Your physical standing can, can have all of the requirements that you need, but unless you are born of the Spirit, you have no part of the kingdom of God. So, that which is born of the flesh, by natural birth or by religious ritual, in the end is still flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, we find in verse number 6. And, and he, he, explains, he explains kind of how, how it works. In verse number 8, he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell... Whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know, spiritual birth is comparable to the wind. You know, you don't see it. You can't tell, you know, people on the outside can't quite tell where it comes from, and you can't quite tell where all it's going, but it's very much real, and you can't deny that it's there. That, that's what spiritual rebirth is, and that, that's how Jesus explains it to him. And we find, we find as Jesus kind of elaborates more on his purpose here, he's, he's, he's dismantled Nicodemus's confidence in his pedigree and in his Jewishness. And so now Jesus has laid the foundation for explaining, Nicodemus, this is why I'm really here. Nicodemus, who, who's a master of Israel and of Jewish law, he completely failed to see the purpose behind Jesus' role as the Messiah because he was too focused on, on, or, on earthly things. Jesus finally reaches the crux of the discussion. I, I would love to, to delve into some of the things that, that Jesus says in verse number, number 10 through 13. He, he essentially equates himself, he says, who, who has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. That's a claim to deity right there. Um, and I would love to go more into that. But, but we, we, he, he manages to get Nicodemus down to, down to verse number 14. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world in order to justify the Jews. The word condemn literally means to judge. He did not come to physically judge them at that particular moment in time, much like the Jews would hope he did. The kingdom was never intended to be just for Jews, but the Jews lost sight of that. Actually, if we look back into the books of, book of Genesis, we, we went through that series with Pastor, I don't know if that was last year or a couple of years ago, but God's promise to Abraham was that I, I will make of you a nation that by which all nations of the world will be blessed. And, 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 and that would be through Jesus Christ's eventual coming into the world through the, through the Israelite people, and that's his true purpose of why he came. And so what, 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 is, what, is, what am I trying to get at here in terms of us, I suppose, is, is we, we, can, we can be so familiar with, with this aspect of our Christian walk that, that we can forget its true importance and, and key position as, as the primary purpose for, for why we do what we do. You know, we can, we can slip into the tendency to have our own impression of Jesus' purpose and of the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes if we're, if we're casual enough in our relationship with God, you know, Jesus 
we, we don't treat Jesus like the savior of our sins. He's, he's just the life preserver and deliverer from life's inconveniences and hardships. You know, and, and you know, there may be some of us in here, and I would have been one of these. You know, I, I grew up in church but was not saved until I was 13 years old. You know, Brother Samuel and I had the exact same upbringing, but he was saved long before I was. And, and, and here's, here's, here's the way it was with me. Um, you can believe that your place, is in the, your place in the kingdom of God is yours by association. See, you can, you can act as though, though church involvement and, and church faithfulness is, is the source of your righteousness. And I, I desperately clung to the idea that I would not be doing this if I weren't saved. You know, I, I, I tried to convince myself of that for such a terribly long time. And, and there may be some in here that are convincing themselves of the very same thing. And you've been in church for a very long time. But, but that's, that, that's, that's, according to Jesus, your, your pedigree, your associations have absolutely no bearing on the, on the position of your soul before a tri- thrice holy God. It's not that way. You can act as though church involvement is the source of your righteousness. You can grow up in church. You can even be baptized. You can. I was. I had to get rebaptized because I wasn't saved the first time. Um, you can show up at every service and you can, you can attend men's prayer meeting. You can be involved in cleaning. You can, you can write people letters. You can visit people in the hospital. You can do whatever you would like. Sometimes, sometimes we can actually, as, as American Christians, we can act as though our, 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 our conservatism is the source of our righteousness. And I, I, I hope I don't press too many buttons here, but, but you, can, you can be against abortion all you want. You can be against the, the LGBTQ agenda. You can be against socialism. You can be against the legalization of any questionable substance known to man. But that is not the source of your righteousness. And if you, think that, if you think that your association with those values and the fact that you're associated with people that hold to those values that are a part of the kingdom of God, that, that reserves you no place. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Those aren't bad things, but that has absolutely nothing to do with your, the status of your soul before God. The Bible, the Bible reveals the truth of Jesus' purpose in the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. See, if you haven't come to the place where you, you recognize yourself that in spite of your connections, in spite of your associations, in spite of your American Christian label, in spite of your Jewish status, if you haven't recognized your position as a sinner in need of a Savior, then you have completely missed the reason. You've completely missed the purpose of why he's here. And at the great white throne judgment, when every man and woman who has ever lived stands before God by themselves, might I add, they won't be judged on church heritage, political alignment, age, gender, race, etc. The one and only question that matters is if you were born again as a child of God. Yeah, and for those of us who are saved, it might, be, it might be good to remind ourselves of the purpose for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about reaching lost souls for Christ. Right. See, what happened to the Jews is the Jews failed to see the point of the first coming of Christ. They thought, they thought that Christ was going to come. He was going to pat them on the back for for being so religiously strict and obedient and, and, and being ritualistically righteous, if you want to call it that. Um, and, but that's not why he came. He, he came. he came to save sinners who are, because of their sin, ever at odds with the God who created them and desires to have a deep and personal relationship with them. For us, Jesus Christ is coming again, also with a purpose. You know, we had, we had this, this track right here and the verse on the front can just be so casual in our minds that we forget that this really is the crux of why we're here. Genuine followers of Christ are are at a risk to to fail to see the point of Christ's return. We can can convince ourselves that at the judgment seat of Christ are well done. 
is going to be based on pursuing our righteous agenda. You know, we, we, on, on staying conservative politically and, and never breaking the routine of doing church. And we, we can almost fall into the, fall into the tendency to, to base our well done off of nothing. And none of those are bad things, but, but, and I, I'm for all of it, but, but the purpose, the, the single purpose behind Jesus coming again is to bring every single person who believed on him for when he came the first time to save them from their sins and to restore a relationship with God. He's, he's coming back to take them up, to take them with him. And there are going to be some who don't have a part in that kingdom because we forgot the purpose. And, and to, to close, I, I, I actually had, I, I had a different conclusion planned out, but this is a story that just happened today, and it was just, it was a good challenge, and I, I was really grateful to be there. Um, the interns and I went to lunch with uh, Brother Doug and Miss Linda, Linda Heinrichs, and uh, I hope they don't mind me telling the story. I think he's, I think he's out, but uh, we, ate, we ate at Fuddruckers. We love to eat at Fuddruckers. I think every summer that I've been up here, we've gone to Fuddruckers. <laughs> we were enjoying some good fellowship, and, and there was this elderly gentleman that came up to our table, and uh, he, he worked there, and he asked us if we'd ever heard of something. What was it? Was it a star chamber? I think that's what it was. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. But I think, I think he called it a star chamber, and Josh and I were convinced it was a type of food. We really were, and we were disappointed to, to find out it was not. Um, uh, but it, it is some political term of some sort. And, and the man was conservative, and he, rep- he represented good values, and he had good intentions by, by trying to share this information with us because he wanted to make sure that, that we were on the right track. But, but to my surprise, excuse me, the first thing that Brother Doug said to this gentleman, he's like, I understand that, but, but when are you going to come back to church with me? It kind of took me back. Brother Doug, do you know this guy? He does. Uh, to my understanding... Uh, this gentleman was someone who, who I, I believe is saved, um, and Brother Doug could correct me if I'm wrong, but, but he had attended Eastside a number of years ago, actually, and apparently was well acquainted with Brother Doug. And in the man's response to, to Brother Doug's question, he's like, oh, I don't know. And then he, he proceeded to, to go on and, and attempted to continue the, the seemingly more important topic of conservative politics. But Brother Doug didn't budge. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> he, he's, he's like, I get that. But, but you know, we, we don't really have control over what goes on way up here. What, we, we have to take responsibility for our sin and for a relationship with God and, and help other people get saved and do the same. And, and that way God's people can pray together that he move on their behalf and do what they can't. But, but that starts down here on a personal relationship with God. And it, it was... It was it was crazy that it happened today while I'm studying for this message, but in the middle of Fuddruckers, of all places, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Brother Doug did not forget the purpose of Jesus' coming. Sometimes I do. You know, sometimes I, I, I'm up here and I sing invitations. You know, I'm, I'm writing sermons like this and I'm planning activities. I'm outside pulling weeds and painting walls and every other function that a staff member could possibly do. But that can become my main purpose if I'm not careful. I'll look for my well done in, in things like that rather than actually working toward the very purpose with which Jesus Christ came and that's to save sinners. Let's not forget that John 3.16 has, has two dichotomies here. And that's everlasting life and perishing. When people die without being born again, they perish. It means that's it. It's done it's over. There is no other chances. We walk by them every day and we're content to let people perish because our agendas are well done.
and not the purpose for which he came. We all need to, we all need to stop cheapening the verse that we all know so well and know by heart. We need, to, we need to remember why it's the crux of what we do, what we do. We all need to take responsibility for our distractions and never forget the real purpose of Christ's coming. And that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And tonight, you know, there are, there are different things you can do. Maybe, maybe tonight, for our invitation, we all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. <laughs> we all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for our invitation. Um, you know, maybe tonight we need, to, we need to appreciate our salvation. You know, we, we, we are saved, but, but we, we, we've taken for granted the fact that God saved us from our sins and our, our, source, our sense of self-worth and our sense of righteousness is, is coming from the things that we do. And we forget that our righteousness is not in us. And maybe tonight, maybe tonight we've forgotten the purpose for why we do what we do as a church. And we're... We're so, con- we're, we're so committed to, to Eastside developing administratively, maybe, or seeing us do different things and different activities or, or having multiple opportunities, and we're neglecting the one thing that, that Jesus left the church here for in the first place, and that's to reach people with the gospel. You know, we, ha- we have outreach times. We have coworkers that we see every day and people that we have relationships with. Let's not neglect those opportunities and forget the purpose for why we're here. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.